Good morning. It's good to see you. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. So we begin a series of sermons for the next few weeks on Advent, uh, the coming of Christ. Uh, he came in the flesh, and he will be coming in power. Um, we will be uh, preaching these messages. Actually, Josh and I will be going back and forth. I'm going to preach this week. He'll preach next week. I'll preach the next week. He'll do the next week. So we're kind of sharing the Advent sermons. He hadn't done Advent before. So uh, so anyway, it's it's fun on the same topic to preach four sermons. So, yeah, But it can be done. It can be done. So we're looking forward to uh, this series, working together to do that. My task today is to kind of introduce the topic itself uh, in a more of a broad scope, if you will. Um, Advent uh, means coming, as I have mentioned, and uh, particularly that we are waiting for the coming of Christ. We're looking forward to that, yes? We're looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, the Old Testament saints also were looking forward to the coming of Messiah, of Christ. They were anticipating His coming. And they saw Him in a very different light. Uh, but they were still looking forward because He was going to rescue Israel. And depending upon their circumstances, they would interpret things a little bit different. And when He did come... It was at a time when they were under the authority of Rome and they were, had in their mind that they, the Savior, the, the, the Messiah, would dispel Rome and deliver Israel out, of, out from under their authority. But the Old Testament prophets, they proclaimed that he was coming, and the people longed for an anticipation of the glorious day of promise. And let me announce to you, in case you didn't know, what God promised to them happened. It happened when his own son, Jesus, was born. God incarnate coming into this world, taking on flesh that he may redeem many by his own blood. What God promised happened, and we celebrate and we commemorate that fulfilled promise on Christmas. That's what we call it, Christmas. We celebrate the birth of our Savior. So all their waiting has come to pass, yet we still wait. The waiting is not over. We're still waiting for him to return. We're waiting for the coming of Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, to come in power, to redeem his own, to take us to be with him forever. We wait for the consummation of all things, the promise of total redemption, total renewal, total resurrection of our bodies. We wait to be in the presence 
of the glory of God forever. We're looking forward to that. We're anticipating that beautiful day. Yet we still wait. So here we are, stuck in the middle. I know some of y'all just thought of a sitcom, but I think of an old song by the Steelers, the the Steelers' will. Clowns to the left of me, jokers on the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you, and I'm wondering what it is I should do. While we're stuck in the middle, we're certainly surrounded by clowns to the left and jokers on the right. But the real question is, since we are between advents, what should we do? How should we live? What is our calling? I want us to look at Romans chapter 8, particularly verses 18 through 25. Paul has just spoken of those who are in the the Spirit of God, that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. And then he says in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. They're suffering while we're stuck in the middle. They're suffering while we are here. And yet there is endurance for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want to answer the question, What should we do? By looking uh, at this text, I mean, when you go through this text, if you read it, and you read it over and over again, you're going to find that he's speaking in past tense, and he's speaking in present tense, and he's speaking in future tense. Four times he speaks in past tense. Five times he speaks in present tense. And four times he speaks in future tense in this text. It just goes back and forth. So to answer this question, I want us to look at past promises of God, present promises of God, and future promises of God. I know it sounds kind of Dickensian, but it's not. Uh, Because they kind of do this with each other. And there's not a clear separation because one affects the other. And so I I want us to look at first past promises. I I want us to look at those first. Paul is building this argument that the suffering we endure is no comparison to glory. That's what he says. In other words, here's what he's saying. The suffering is worth it. The suffering is worth it. The pain that you endure is worth it. That's what he's communicating. 
And in order to build that argument, Paul personifies creation by giving it emotion. Now, what he's saying here is true, I believe. But we know that creation doesn't have emotion. But here, it waits. It has action. Uh, We see that it groans later on. So he's, he's personifying creation in order to build this argument uh, that the suffering we endure is no comparison to the glory that awaits us. What is that? He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. They are the ones who will inhabit the new heavens and the new earth. It was the first man, Adam, uh, through whom sin entered the world. And as a result, creation came under a curse. And so Paul is kind of bringing that out and saying creation is groaning. Creation is waiting for its own redemption that will come when the sons of God are revealed. At that time when Adam sinned, God delivered his promise of the Redeemer, one that would crush the head of the serpent. And he would do that by means of his death and resurrection from the grave. The Lord would speak through Moses concerning this Savior. I'll raise up one from among you. Listen to him. Creation came under a curse. God created the earth, it seems, and some hold to the position it was kind of self-sustaining. It watered itself. All these plants were there. All these fruits were there. All these animals were there. Can you imagine not really having to do a whole lot? I mean, you're toiling some, but, you know, everything's just kind of going along. I mean, you want an apple? Go pick you an apple. You want some squash? Go get you some squash, you know? Need some corn? No, grind that up into meal and fry the squash in it, you know? I mean, there's animals all over the place. I suspect that before the fall, the animals were... I mean, obviously, they came up to Adam and said, what's my name? You know, because he named them all. Gather them up. Hey, you come here. Look, there's a male and female. There's not one like me. But then comes the curse, and the ground starts producing sweet gum trees and thorns and thistles. And the animals that used to come up and eat out of their hand now run and hide from them. 
I promise you, there is not a doe alive that doesn't know when doe day is in Texas. Here's all the doe days. All the buck come out then. No, I want to wait for the doe. No, they run and they hide. Squirrels, they're up there just chittering away, you know, and having a big time in the tree. And then you walk up under it and they hide behind the leaves. They're scared of you. It's the curse. But God said, let me make you a promise. A Redeemer's coming. Looking at past promises, we see here what happened in verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation, verse 20, was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Creation was subjected to futility or uselessness or frustration. Those are some words that help us to see what he is saying. And it says here in verse 19 that creation waits with eager longing. By the way, those two words are the same Greek word. You could translate it this, like this, that creation waits with waiting. Or creation eagerly longs with eager longing. I'll talk more about that later in the present time. See how they kind of intermingle. But it says here, for creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. In other words, when man fell, creation didn't raise its hand and say, God, I'll take care of this. No, God subjected creation to futility for his own purposes to accomplish his own will and to bring about a life that is hard. You're going to toil that ground. It's going to fight against you. It's not going to want to cooperate. You're going to have to till it and cultivate it and fertilize it and all kinds of things. It didn't become useless on its own. It was subjected because of God. And some people may argue and they may say, well, who subjected it, you know? Was it Adam? Did he subject it by committing his sin? Or was it Satan to try to derail the things of God? Well, the answer is right there in the text. Him who subjected it in hope. There's hope. That tells us it was God. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. When you think about it today... And since that time, creation has been 
used to bring about suffering. Hurricanes, tornadoes, tsunamis, all produce death and destruction. And people suffer as a result. Such suffering cries out to God in curses or for help. Suffering reminds us that we're dependent on Him. That we have Him to trust. That we have Him to call out to. It's God who takes suffering and uses it in good ways. To produce Strong, believing, enduring children of God. Jesus used suffering in proclaiming good news. A tower fell on some people and killed a bunch of people. He said, you've heard about this? Yeah. Well, unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Let me give you good news. He used it to spread and share the gospel of Christ. Suffering, he used it in that way. Suffering became an instrument of the gospel sharing so that we might look at things in ultimate ways. And look at God's plan as ultimate and stop trusting in people and in things. We see in verse 22, it says, For we know, it's still in past, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning. It hadn't let up. I mean, ever since it has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. See the present jump in there? I mean, this groaning of creation is because of the pain of suffering. And it says there that it's the pain of childbirth. I haven't seen it, but uh, experienced it, but I've seen it. Pain of childbirth is a good thing. I got some moms looking at me with some darty eyes there. Just <laughs> watch yourself. Careful. Listen to what I got to say here. It's good because it brings forth life. You ever heard the screams? Of pain from the ER or oncology or some trauma situation. That's not the pain. That pain brings 
death. This groaning of creation, it says. Has been groaning together. Creation has. In the birth of, in, in the pain of childbirth. And that groaning is still happening this day. We're hoping for a day, that day of the revealing of the sons of God. That's what we're looking forward to as the people of God, aren't we? Long for that. The promises come from the past. Creation is teaching us. We want this. We want Christ to return. We want the revealing of the sons of God. That word, apocalypto, it's this word that speaks of a curtain being drawn back. I mean, we're called to trust in Jesus Christ and we trust in Jesus Christ and our sins are forgiven and we're given eternal life and we're said, you know what, at the end of things... We're going to pull a curtain back. It just kind of reminds me of a game show. Door number one, door number two, or door number three. Except there's only one. And it's this pulling back of the curtain, revealing all the things we haven't been able to see that we knew were there. And they look nothing like we imagined them. We were imagining too small. And they're looking forward. To that. Creation has been groaning. Why is it we're hoping for that day? It says that we'll receive new bodies. We need new bodies. The older you get, the more you realize I need a new body. So you know, none of them will have hair on their heads. That's right. It says there that it's in hope of resurrection. It says that's what we're looking for. That's the hope of eternal life. What does it say in verse 24? For in this hope, what hope? The redemption of our bodies, eternal life, the promise of God fulfilled in this hope. It says, we were saved. We were saved in the hope of being resurrected and made new. Isn't it great to know death doesn't have any victory? It doesn't win. All of us die. There's no avoiding it unless he comes and changes us. But I don't think there's much difference. Death no longer has victory. Now it's a doorway to paradise. And the suffering becomes used by God in caring for us like a father. 
to discipline and to purify us and to make us new. So these past promises, creation waits presently, but it's been groaning ever since it was subjected to futility. And it's teaching us we're waiting for something marvelous, something beautiful. But we're doing it right now. We're doing it in the present time. Verse 18 tells us there's something to compare to our suffering that makes suffering worth it. And it's that glory that I'm talking about. It's that revealing of the glory of God. A revealing of God's glory in us, out of us. In the present time, we have this promise of God that whoever believes in Jesus Christ will be saved and receive the promise of eternal life. Do you know what that calls us to? It demands our continual growth in the knowledge of the living God. As we grow in knowledge of Him, the dim mirror that we look into becomes less dim. As faith and hope grows. Verse 19 illustrates that for us. Look what it says. For the creation waits presently with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation waits. Creation waits with waiting, or creation eagerly longs with eager longing. This word wait and eager longing mean literally watching with outstretched head. (laughs) Y'all ever do that? You probably did it more as a child. Some of you short people still do it, okay? You get behind somebody. I'm not picking on short people. I'm just saying that's what they do. And they're standing in a crowd and something's going on up in the, on the stage. And everybody's standing up. And the short people, you know, they're kind of doing this. You know? You have seen that? Maybe you've done that. I do it. We had all of our kids and their kids over this weekend and little Piper that's our youngest granddaughter uh, she's a little over a year old now and she's walking around and she's having a big time and she's out with the new chicks we have new brawlers that we're raising just got them this past week and we keep them in a trough and that trough is up inside of a dog kennel keep the raccoons out of it and such and so She's walking up, and she's looking. She hears them, and I tell them, can you see the chicks? And she's looking. Her head comes up like that, and she's looking in there. She can barely see over the rim there. She might be able to see one or two 
of those chicks. But she's working at it. She's looking at it. And she sees them. I've told you they teach her sign language at the little school she goes to. And she goes, bop, 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 bop. I mean, how cute is that, you know? What's the chicken say? Bok, 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 bok. I mean, you know, wherever you go out there where we are, there's some chickens. And she was enjoying that. She had that little head stretched out looking, trying to see. Waiting is active. Waiting has a longing to it that comes from the soul, the heart. I want to see what you're talking about. And it tells us later on that you can't see it. That's why it's hope. But the hope that we have is that waiting with our heads stretched and maybe even coming up on tiptoe. Let me see. I want to see what I can see. Moses said, show me your glory. That's what's coming through this. That's what Advent is. Show me. I want to see. I want to adore you. That's what it is. It's adoration for the living God. So presently, what we're doing is we're waiting. Creation waits. Verse 22 takes us to another place of the present. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And it's still, we're still groaning. We aren't waiting for suffering. We're waiting for suffering to be swallowed up by the coming of Jesus Christ. That's what we're waiting for now. This groaning has been happening. It's still happening. We're waiting for him to come. And swallow up suffering. Swallow up death. Swallow up pain. Swallow up all these things. Verse 23 jumps and he says in verse 23, And not only the creation, but we ourselves. us, We. I like how he uses we. He could have just said I, but he's talking about we. Not just we humans, but we believers, we redeemed, we the church. That's what's going on here. We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, what do we do? We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. Wait a minute, hadn't we already been adopted? Yes! It's part of that already not yet thinking. We've already been adopted, but our adoption isn't finished. 
Well, what do you mean it isn't finished? Evidently, when we get bodies, it'll be finished. Not these bodies, good bodies, all right? You say, well, what's wrong with these bodies? I don't know about you, Rick, but I'm in pretty good shape. Well, I'm not in pretty good shape, and neither are you. You're decaying, okay, every one of you. But here it is. We're groaning. We're wanting this to happen. We groan together. I didn't finish my story a minute ago, you know. It's dangerous to start talking about grandchildren because I've got a story about every one of them over the weekend, okay? But as Piper was doing that, she had that old neck strain like that. Well, like any good papa, I walk over there, and I don't want her to see just the fur on the top of one chick. I want her to get the whole picture. And so I walk over, and I grab her, and I pick her up, and I hold her over. And while I'm holding her over, she's looking down in there, and she goes, chick, chick, whoop. She starts doing this again. Buck, 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 buck. She sees all of them in there. We groan. Notice it says that we're doing it together. I know what it says, uh, for we know the whole creation has been growing together. But here, we groan inwardly, all of us. And it's literally speaking of groaning together. So we wait together. We anticipate together. We're helping one another see that one day we will be totally redeemed when we receive new eternal bodies. We're doing it together. We're helping one another see. When suffering comes, We're helping one another see. You know what? Suffering clouds our view. We help one another. Look. Look. Let me wait with you for the promise. Let me groan with you for the promise. And so we wait. In verse 25, it says there, But if we hope for what we do not see, and sometimes we don't see it because we're just not tall enough, if you will, and we need somebody to help us to see. And sometimes the tears of suffering cloud our eyes. We can't see. Because for a time we focus on our pain. But verse 25 tells us, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it. With patience. Wait. Wait a minute. Aren't we supposed to be waiting? With eager longing? And now this is telling us to wait with patience. 
Are we supposed to wait with eager longing? Or are we supposed to wait with patience? Yes. Both. Well, what does that mean? To wait with patience, that word means to bear up under suffering. How about another word? Endurance. This is the perseverance of the saints. This is that we're suffering and we're going to bear up under it. You ever do that when doing the remodeling to the house? One of the things that I've had to do is carry a lot of plywood and sheetrock and stuff like that. And every once in a while, you'll get a load and you, you just can't do it anymore. And you kind of start sinking down and you take a little rest, you know. And then you get back up and you push it up. You bear up underneath that load. You don't, you don't let it take you all the way down. You know what you can carry. And over time, it gets hard. But what you do is you bear up underneath that. And the great thing is, is you have people there helping you. And they say, here, let me get one end of that. And it lessens the load by half. And imagine having a whole body full of people, a whole church Saying, here, let me carry that for you. Let me help you. Let me bear up underneath that with you. I'll help you. That's a present promise. I'm with you always to the end of the age. <laughs> That's a promise of the present. So we have past promises, we have present promises, and we have future promises. Verse 18, we see that the glory is going to be revealed to us. Peter echoes this sentiment in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept for you in heaven, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the re revelation of Jesus Christ. By the way, the revelation of Jesus Christ and the revealing of the sons of God all happening at the same time. Now, that's my eschatological opinion, and we'll talk more about that as we approach Revelation on Wednesday nights. But I want you to know that when Christ is revealed, we're all going to be revealed as His or not. But when he comes, John tells us, we're going to see him just as he is. Do you all know what that means? 
We're going to see him just as he is because we're going to be as he is. Not God's, but eternal because of his blood. We have these future promises of this revelation that's coming. In verse 21, it says that the creation itself will be set free. That's what he's hoping. That's subjected in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. His glory is uncorrupted with sin, pain, sorrow, grief, sickness, and death. He's speaking primarily about the glory of the children of God, having been set free from ourselves from the bondage to corruption, namely sin and death. Creation's longing for that, but we've been set free from bondage of sin and death. We've been set free from the bondage to corruption. That's what we were. And He has set us free. And creation's waiting for that day. The revelation of those who have been set free. Isn't it great that we've been set free from bondage to sin? And that our calling is to put it to death. That's what we do presently. That's what we do now. The future hope is a resurrection where there'll be no sin. Can y'all even imagine that? I mean, can you even imagine? I can't. I can't even imagine what that's going to be like, that there's no sin, no thievery, no murder, no evil thoughts, no sinful thoughts, no, no, no immorality whatsoever, nothing. And he's describing that. Let me just give you a couple of points of illustration. For what we do, not illustration, application, for what we do while we're stuck in the middle between advents. Clearly, he's telling us that waiting is worth it, but it's not easy. Waiting is worth it, but it is not easy. It's not easy because of suffering. The pain is real, and at times it's agonizing, but we have been given real promises that bring us to the conclusion that this light, momentary affliction is doing something to conform me to the image of His Son. That's what He says right down here, that he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. He's making us like Jesus, that waiting, that longing, that looking and finding more and more about him so that we can be more and more like him is what we're doing. We have to remember in our waiting that as we suffer, and all of us will suffer in some way, that as we suffer, He's not punishing you. Are you a child of God? Yes? Okay. I've started answering for you, by the way. Yes, I'm a child of God. Guess what? 
You will not be punished by God. He is not punishing you. He will never punish you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But He will discipline you. And He does discipline you. And suffering is one way that that happens. But it's not punitive. He's not making you pay a price. He's teaching you how to live like His Son. How do I know he loves me? Later on, Paul writes that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things, including the ability to bear up under any load of suffering and carry it through? It's not only a struggle and it's not easy because of suffering, but it's also uh, a struggle to maintain anticipation. It's hard to maintain our anticipation. Some people hold to this philosophy. I don't want to get my hopes up so the disappointment will be less. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because I know there's some of you in here. I'm not going to get my hopes up. If I do that, you know, the fall will be hard. I don't understand that philosophy. One of the lessons God seems to teach us is not to put our hopes in anything but Him. Let me tell you something you can do. You can get your hopes up. When the promises are coming from God. You can get your hopes up. In the revealing of the sons of God. And how beautiful that's going to be. And we're longing for that. And we're waiting for that. And until that day. We are to press on. What should I do? I should wait. And I should wait with great longing. And anticipation for that day. It will come. And we're waiting in this way. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, the last verse after he's talked about resurrection, after he's talked about the coming of Christ, he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, <clears throat> that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Steadfast, be steadfast. That's unwavering. I mean, you're not going to move me to the left or you're not going to move me to the right. I am going to stay put. I'm staying in it. I'm staying here. So unwavering. This is what I believe. What I believe is not changing, uh, not one iota. I am going to continue to believe him in every way. You can't move me. Your philosophies can't change me. You can't tell me this is right when I know clearly by the word of God that it is wrong. Be steadfast. Don't be blown about by the wind. That demands us to grow in the word of God. The next thing he says is be immovable. Be immovable. Don't let anything move you. Let me tell you what that means. Un Shaken. Unshaken. Don't be unshaken. 
Uh, or be unshaken. Don't be unshaken. Y'all see what I mean. One of them is not blown around. The other one is not uprooted. That immovable. It's one thing to sit there and say, no, I'm not getting up. Uh, you ever been to one of those rallies where you sit in the middle of the road and you keep traffic from coming through? You haven't been to one? Of I hadn't either. Uh, but, I mean, and you sit there and, and y'all see those guys? You can't move. I mean, they're dragging on them. They're, they're trying to pull them out of the road. They just kind of go limp. They stay there. I'm not going anywhere. They say, this is where I'm sitting. And that dragging and them going limp. That's being immovable. That's being unshaken. You don't scare me none. There's no need to be afraid. Because God is for you. He is not against you. And what does he call us to do? Believe. Keep believing. Keep trusting. Keep striving. For the holiness that he's called every one of us to in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, and we thank you that, Lord, you have given us life, and not only that, Lord, you've let us live in this time to see past promises fulfilled and to know future promises will be. And, Lord, knowing that enables us to stand firm, to not be moved, to not be shaken, Lord, by the suffering that comes, by the broken promises that come from men. But instead, Lord, we can trust yours. And so we do. And we anticipate and we look forward to your coming. It'll be a beautiful day and a beautiful time. And until that day, Lord, let us be faithful to you to make known your goodness and your gospel and your glory to everyone. In Jesus' name, amen.